835, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I have been doing a radio show in this market long enough to remember when we were still shocked and outraged by things. I, I remember being on the air on September 11th, 2001. In some cases, it seems like a lifetime ago, and other times it, it seems like it was just yesterday. And, and I remember the shock, the outrage, this was the source of discussion for for weeks. It's all everybody wanted to talk about. I can remember being on the air um, at or around the time of the Columbine shootings. And, and the same thing. The conversation for the next week, for the next two weeks, it was all everyone wanted to talk about. Just how, how can... You know, how can latchkey kids go so, you know, desperately wrong? How could this type of thing happen? How could our schools be unsafe? And, and what I, I have seen since Columbine, as we have had, you know, school shootings are not a regular occurrence in this country, but school shootings do occur from time to time. And as these shootings occur, the, the outrage, the shock, the surprise seems to lessen and lessen and lessen to the point where, oh, okay, another day, another school shooting. The same thing, I, I think, is held true with terrorist attacks. After September 11th, of course, I acknowledge that was on the home front and it caught our attention. You know, you, you had, again, that the nation comes together and this is a public conversation. Um, as time has gone on and we have seen more and more terrorist attacks, I think, quite candidly, we've, we've kind of become immune to this. And unless perhaps it happens in our very own backyard, it's like, okay, well, another day, another terrorist attack. This, of course, is a way of leading into what happened yesterday in Manchester, England, an Ariana Grande concert. What there was, ISIS is claiming responsibility for this. It was a 23-year-old man who they say was known to British authorities. Apparently, as near as I can figure out what he did, because he had one or more bombs. He was a suicide bomber. He did not go into the venue. He positioned himself around the box office, which, as I understand it, is you know outside the venue, so he didn't have to go through security. I mean, think of, I guess I even hate to use this illusion, but, I mean, okay, Miller Park, they have metal detectors. If you go into the stadium, you have to go through the metal detectors. But if you just pull up into the parking lot and get out and walk up to the box office, for example, to buy tickets, there, there's no there's no security checks. You don't pass through anything. So, I mean, what my understanding is what this guy did was he positioned himself outside but near the entrance to the venue, waited until people were leaving the concert, maximum exposure, and then set off the, the bombs. 22 people dead. Um, we, we don't have the breakdown of ages yet, but, but this, this, the nature of this concert is it attracted teenagers. I mean, this was targeted to kill children, and unfortunately it was very successful. 22 people dead, plus the suicide bomber. In addition, um, they say over 50 people are injured, and this, this was nasty. This was just like not, not that there's not that there's any kind or gentle or humane way to do this, but 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 this sounded to me like the equivalent of like a pipe bomb. This reminded me again of the Boston Marathon bombings. I mean, uh, they, they said there were shrapnel all, all over. I mean, this was an effort to kill and maim as many people as possible, particularly children. And I don't care that this happened in England. This is something that should 
really should you know hit home with all of us because the truth of the matter is that this could happen here all right so big thing number one we're going to actually have a big thing number one a and one b all right big thing number one this is something that I think needs to be on everybody's mind as we move into, uh, again, the summer outdoor concert you know, season. Do we need to do more to try to enhance security in an effort to try to prevent these things? And, and if so, is it even possible to do that? Like I say, in this case, this guy was outside the venue. He was in the proximity of the venue, but he was outside the venue. So he wasn't going through any sort of security measures at all. Is there anything that can be done to make venues safer from this type of attack? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And this is related to that. This is a parent's worst nightmare. I mean, you, you send. Can you imagine this? You send your kids to a concert. Mom, can I go to the, Dad? Can I go to this show? Okay. Well, you know, be home by this time. Who's going to be picking you up? All those things. This is the parents' absolute worst nightmare. You send your kid off to a show like this, and then something like this happens. Are you worried that this will be repeated in the U.S. this summer? And is there anything that we can do? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I've got some definite comments on this. And unfortunately, I don't think anybody's going to be satisfied with what I have to say. But in the wake of this, do we need to toughen security around here? Can we toughen security? We discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 840. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 844, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. A number of people emailing me. Yes, I do remember that um, Ariana Grande was, of course, the woman who was seen in, what, 2015 in the donut shop. Remember this, Hondo? She was the one who was um, caught on a security camera, like, licking this donut and then saying, I hate Americans, I hate America. Okay, I... I don't see any relationship between the fact that this happened at the security concert, at, at her concert. But, yes, I, I am aware that that was her. Here, here, is, here is the problem, and I understand that this is going to be an unsatisfactory thing because I'm shocked and appalled and disgusted by what happened. I'm disgusted that anyone would decide that they were going to take other human life in this fashion, especially targeting children. But here is the reality. <clears throat> we live in a free society, and one of the consequences of living in a free society is we are always going to be vulnerable to the the crazies that are out there, the extremists, whether they are you know Islamic terrorist extremists or what whatever. You know we are always going to be vulnerable to that to an extent because as a free society we move around. In this particular situation, it's tough for me. You know, to criticize, I guess, the venue, because there is security or there was security inside the venue. I mean, how how far back do you move it? I, I think about Summerfest. We've got Summerfest coming up, and I, I know this is something that's always on the mind of my friend Don Smiley and Bob Babish down at Summerfest, is security. But, I mean, how how far back do you, do you have the security? For example, at Summerfest, you know, you have to pass through security to get into 
into the gates. So, I mean, theoretically, at Summerfest, you wouldn't be able to hang outside the box office of the Marquez Amphitheater without having to go through some form of of security. But how far do you bring that back? What do you do in the parking lot? If if somebody decides, all right, I I want to cause as much carnage as I possibly can, I'm going to pull into the parking lot, and then I'm going to walk around, and I'll be there where there's the lines waiting to get through security. There is, unfortunately, a limitation as to what large venues can do, not to mention small venues. I mean, look at the story we had out of Orlando a while back where you had the the, the crazy guy who showed up at the nightclub. This was uh, going on a year ago in Orlando, the, the gay nightclub who killed 50 people and wounded 53 in the deadliest shooting spree in U.S. history. The, these smaller entertainment venues... Well, there, there's a limitation at a place like Summerfest or a place like Lambeau Field or Miller Park or whatever. The, the larger venues, you can at least have some security on the perimeter. These smaller venues, well, okay, maybe you've got a bouncer or somebody who's looking at out of this, but, you know, we're, we're always going to be vulnerable. What about shopping malls? I mean, do we really want to get to a point where, you know, shopping malls only allow one or two entrances and you have a security guard and you have to go through metal detectors? And even so, that only, again, stops you from getting into the shopping mall what about if somebody wants to i mean do something crazy as they're lined up as people are lined up outside the shopping mall there, it is it is an unsatisfactory comment but it is also the, the truth that we are always going to be vulnerable to these type of things as far as our ability to prevent it at the moment which brings me to the larger issue though which is how you ultimately prevent this type of stuff, you cut it off at its head. You be more aggressive in trying to, number one, nations of the world need to come together to say, we are not going to tolerate this type of extremism, and we are going to root it out, and we are going to eliminate it. We're going to cut off any sources of funding for these type of organizations. We're going to be aggressive in our prevention in trying to identify individuals who are associated with these groups. We're going to be aggressive in trying to identify the suspicious behavior. I am going to be curious, as the second and third day information come out, comes out about the, uh, the suicide bomber, the, the reports right now are he was known to authorities, um, which means he had done weird he had done stuff to get him on their radar screen so my question is going to be what did they know about him why was he still around and i think quite candidly in in great britain they they take a tougher tone than we do with some of this stuff because they're more sensitive to it they've had a history of terrorism going back for a long time so they're more aggressive and more proactive in dealing with this but even so you know what did they know why did they not act more aggressively? This, this is the challenge of our time because the reality is you're, you're not going to be able to stop the crazy person who or people who want to put together the bomb and somebody who decides that they're willing to give their life for whatever particular cause they want to support. The best way to stop this, though, is, in my mind, to identify the people who are working at doing this and then to go after them aggressively and to remove them from society. Put them in jail, deport them, do whatever needs to be done to get them out of a situation where they're able to do these things. And it is unfortunate to me that you still have some people in the civilized world who you know, are, are unwilling 
to acknowledge that this is a huge problem and that we need to be more aggressive. And I understand living in a free society, there are limitations as to what you can do. But how many more of these situations are we going to have happen? How many more bombs are going to be going off at venues where ISIS brags about this and celebrates and does figuratively speaking dances in the streets because they've been able to kill or maim you know 70 plus some people many of whom are going to turn out to be teenagers how much more of that are we going to have to take before we as a world stand up and say enough is enough we are not going to tolerate this in a civilized society and you know it starts whether it's in great britain or in the united states it starts with more aggressive law enforcement. And I I do give law enforcement a lot of credit. We have not had major terrorist activity on the scale of something like 9-11 since 9-11. I don't believe that's because the bad guys aren't trying. I think it's because you know law enforcement has done an outstanding job of trying to identify and root out these particular plots and identify the people who are inclined to do it. And I appreciate sometimes that comes at a cost. Sometimes that means we have to spend more time going through airports. That means that sometimes people, oh, heaven forbid, end up getting profiled. All right, well, all right, would you rather, would you rather be delayed at the airport for 15 minutes or would you rather have 22 people dead, you know, at a concert? So I think this is just, unfortunately, another reminder of what goes on in the world, how dangerous a place this is, and how vulnerable we continue to be. And that's not a very satisfactory comment, but it is the truth. It is eight fifty four. This is Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. I still, I'm, I'm, I am stunned that someone would, and I don't know why. I, I'm mad at myself for being stunned because it is the world we live in. But I'm just continue to be stunned that somebody would position themselves outside of a major concert that attracts lots and lots of teenagers. Wait until a number of teenagers are heading out the door, and then kill themselves with a bomb, sending shrapnel all over, killing as many other people as possible. If you wonder whether or not there is true evil in the world, look at what happened yesterday in Manchester, England, and that will give you the answer. A group is up in arms over an Oconomowoc sign that welcomes visitors on behalf of the community's churches. Does this signage cross the line of church and state separation? Do you think it needs to be taken down? Weighed in during Scafidi and Billstadt. That is at 1235 this afternoon. Okay, big thing number two. And we're actually going to introduce the topic now. We're going to carry it over and discuss it um, after the 9 o'clock news. Donald Trump, he, he's in the Middle East right now. Um, he was in Saudi Arabia, then was in Israel, was just getting ready this morning to leave Israel to fly to um, Rome. He's going to meet with the Pope. Um, back at home. His first budget is being rolled out in in kind of bits and pieces. Actually, that's why, contrary to some speculation, I think that's why his chief of staff, Reince Priebus, you know, left the trip. It's because they're they're rolling out the the budget, not because I think he's in any sort of trouble or any more trouble than the normal. But the thing in the budget that is getting the headlines is that Donald Trump is going to cut safety net programs. That's it. He's he's going after poor Americans. 
as a way of trying to save the taxpayers' money. And that is the spin this story is getting in the mainstream media. Here's what Trump is really doing in in the budget. Um, He is proposing more stringent work requirements, which are similar to those in effect in several states, including Maine, in an effort to limit eligibility for food stamps and a host of other benefits through anti-poverty programs. Um, The program and the budget that he's doing would reduce spending on anti-poverty programs like food stamps or tax credits and welfare payments by $274 billion over a decade. Um, So you might say, well, well, how's he doing this? Is this a war on the poor people or whatever? Well, the theme of, of the budget is essentially... The way they're trying to cut this is by by making it more difficult for people who can work and decide that they're not going to work, making it more difficult for them to qualify. The message is, if you are able-bodied and you are able to work, you should either be working or you should be trying to find a job as a condition of qualifying for these various programs. Um, What's the phrase that Governor Walker uses? I'll paraphrase it here, that, you know, you want these various poverty programs, you want them to be a safety net, not a hammock. And that is the essence of what President Trump is talking about. The mainstream media is up in arms. We pick up the conversation there in just a couple minutes. Is this a war on the poor by saying, as a condition of qualifying for benefits, you got to be looking for a job or you have to be working. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We'll discuss it when we come back. It's 858. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 909. This is Jeff Wagner. Remember a few years ago when we had extremely high unemployment? We're going through the recession that kicked in and... 2008, 2009, lots of people lost their jobs and were unable to find other work. And one of the debates that was happening at the time was how long do you continue unemployment insurance? Typically, unemployment insurance, it's six months. But what was happening is various states, because it was so difficult for people to find jobs, in some places that they'd extend it, so maybe in some cases it was a year. I think there were some states that were, it was up to like a year and a half. And of course, it's paid for by employers who have to pay into the unemployment fund. But the idea was normally six months it should be reasonable time for somebody to find a job. But, you know, in extraordinary cases, maybe we need to extend it. Well, you know what they found as time wore on, and this doesn't apply to everybody, but what they found was for a certain percentage of the people who were on unemployment insurance who supposedly couldn't find jobs, once the unemployment insurance was ready to run out, mysteriously, people started finding jobs. And that doesn't apply to everybody, and I'm not suggesting that. But there were a number of people out there who just kind of made the decision that given the job that's available and given the fact that if they go back to work, they're going to actually have to work, might not be that kind of appealing a job, um, they're going to have to pay taxes on the money they get, 
that the trade-off was, hey, it's easier just to sit on my butt and not worry about this. And then once unemployment insurance runs out, once you realize, hey, there's not going to be any money coming in, at that point in time, mysteriously, you find a job. And I understand that does not apply to everybody, but we used to talk about this extensively. It does apply to some people. As a matter of fact, I used to have people that would call the program and say, yeah, that, that's, that's us. You know, Here, I, I just do the math. And, and here's the numbers. Here's the type of here's how much money I was making before I lost my job. And typically it would be with the lower paying jobs. You know, I had to really work really hard and I was out there doing this type of stuff. And I can only find jobs that are similar to that or maybe not even as good. Well, why would I work for this job when I cannot work? I can sit around and I can make. 80% of what I might be making after you took out my expenses and taxes and all those type of things. It was just a decision that people made. I have always believed it is a dreadful, dreadful public policy to make it more desirable for people to be on the dole than to actually go out and work. At the same time, I believe that we, as a compassionate society, have an obligation to provide that safety net for those least fortunate in society, that that safety net that helps people get back on their, their feet. And during that time when, you know, circumstances or whatever have, have dealt you a blow, yes, I mean, I, I think society has every right and obligation, and actually an obligation to say, okay, here, we're, we're, we're going to help you. We're going to help you with food stamps. We're going to help you with, with whatever, you know, while you get back on your feet. And I also understand that there's a certain percentage of people for whom, that they're they're not going to be they're never going to be able to get back on their feet because of you know whatever disabilities you know whatever they're not going to fit in but a lot of a lot of people you know do a lot of people for example are on some of these social welfare programs they're they're capable of working they're they're capable of of working so why not have them work and when you see the headlines about the Trump budget, oh, he's cutting all these welfare programs. You know, he's cutting the safety net programs. Well, well, yes and no. What he is doing is saying we are going to tighten eligibility for these various safety net programs. And by virtue of tightening eligibility, yes, we will save money. Now, does that mean that you're actually cutting them? I, I don't know. I guess reasonable people can argue about it. But the essence of this and the details are still coming out. The theory is what Governor Walker has been talking about doing in Wisconsin as well, which is to say, if you are able to work, if you are able-bodied, then you should be, as a condition of qualifying for these various programs, you should be working or you should be out there looking for work. Instead of just sitting around on the dole. Now, in Wisconsin, what Governor Walker is talking about doing is he's right now only targeting people who are um, do not have the child care responsibilities. So if you've got child care responsibilities, you're sort of exempt from some of this. But they're looking at the big picture. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand that this the way this is being you know portrayed slash spun in the media. But is, is, really, is it that unrealistic? to say if you are going to be collecting various types of public assistance and you are able-bodied that it, as a condition of doing that you, you have to be looking for work or you actually have to be working 414-799-1620 that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line feel free to disagree with me but i think that is number one reasonable number two i i don't think it is cruel i think what is cruel 
is creating a, a system uh, of of a dole where you encourage people to just sit and take public benefits for all their life. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Because the bottom line is, as long if you're in a situation where you are permanently on public subsistence, your, your quality of life is, is never going to be that great. I mean, yes, you, you'll get by, but, you know, shouldn't people aspire to more? And shouldn't we encourage them? And sometimes that encouragement is a kick in the butt. 414-799-1620. Let's start with John in Milwaukee. John, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. Hi, John. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, because, you know, the abuse is, is horrible. And, you know, right now I'm between jobs, and I don't ever apply for any type of assistance. I mean, it's a, a, that's a pride thing, you know. Well, but if you're entitled to it, I mean, I, I don't see. I don't have an issue again with that safety net. But you, again, you don't want it to be something that, as they say, I mean, it's the cliche that that becomes not just a safety net, but a mattress. Um, you know, you, you know, if you're entitled to it to help you get over a hard time, I think that that's absolutely tremendous. But, 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 but. I think as a matter of policy, there's nothing. It, it's it's just bad policy to encourage people not to not to work and not to try to better themselves. Oh my gosh, yeah, that's. I mean, I I told I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, if uh, if I'm off of work, I have a union job and I'm able to work and you know say okay, I need two weeks off and then I can go to work at a different company. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, in in that downtime. It allows me freedom to do, you know, to go on vacation for two weeks or, uh, yeah. you know, do whatever do whatever I need to do. And even in the, in the wintertime, like I plow snow in the wintertime. Right. Yeah, you, and, you, you do other things. No, I mean, thanks. No, so I, I get it. And again, I'm, I'm not, I, I, I am not, I, and by the way, I'm not suggesting that everybody who's on food stamps or everybody who's on some sort of like welfare program in various states is a malinger. I, I'm not. I'm not arguing that at all. But those aren't the people that are going to be impacted. What Trump is doing, and it's similar, like I say, to what Governor Walker is doing, is trying to say we want to do everything we can to try to force able-bodied people. Yes, force force them to go out into the workforce and try to better themselves as opposed to creating a permanent culture of dependency. Let's talk to Andy in Cedar Grove. Andy, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning. Um, Well, first, let me start off by saying I'm not on these programs and I've never used these programs. And hopefully as, as my life continues, I'm fortunate enough to not be a part of these programs. However, that number that you threw out over what we would save over the course of the next 10 years seems kind of meaningless when in the same budget we're talking about increasing defense spending by $90 billion, which would be just shy of $700 billion annually. That's my first point. My second point, we have a lot of people in this country right now who do work either um, part-time or full-time on a non-livable wage. So if we want to attack actually the, the, the root causes of people that are on food stamps, we should look at the people that are working part-time and full-time that are still have to be on these programs because you, we allow corporations to make trillions and trillions of dollars 
but yet not pay their employees. And we can have the talk that, oh, these are high school entry-level jobs. Mm-hmm. Well, that that's, those jobs are in the same pool as construction workers and everything else. That's the jobs that this country has gone to. So well, you're one of the, let me say, so you're one of those guys that would support like the $15 an hour minimum wage. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know what the number is. I'm not a, I'm not a scholar in, in that. Mm-hmm. What I will say is 725 definitely is not. Yeah. And, I, and, it, it, and if we're going to allow corporations like Walmart or McDonald's or whoever, you could go whoever. When you say we're going to allow it, what what do you what do you mean we're going to allow it? You think the government should come in and tell them well, they have you, to pay you more? Have, you have a state like Missouri where they passed a law in St. Louis to increase minimum wage, yep. and and the state Senate over overruled yep. them. So so how how can you even um, fathom the fact that? These states like Seattle or other states that have increased their minimum wage are trying to proactive be a part of, you know what, a way of getting these people off of these programs is by giving them more money. Well, and, but, but, but you say, okay, but, but, okay, thanks, but see here, okay, here, here, I don't want to get too far afield on this, but I mean, here, here's the problem with the argument you're making. You say we're, we're, we're giving them more money. All right, so you say, first of all, I, look, I don't shop at Walmart, okay? But the, the reason, why is Walmart so successful? Walmart is successful because they keep prices low and people patronize Walmart because they want to buy the $50 um, you know, DVD player. They don't want to pay $125 for it. So Walmart keeps prices low. So for everybody that complains about Walmart, and I, I have no fondness and love for Walmart one way or the other, all right, look at yourself. Look at the people who are lined up outside the damn Walmarts, you know, on, on Black Friday, you know, pushing and shoving to get in to buy the cheap stuff, so that the cheaper prices. So you, you can't have it both ways. You cannot denounce, in my opinion, that the stores like Walmart and say, oh, this is just terrible. I mean, look what they're doing and look how they're not paying their employees a livable wage or whatever. And then say, yeah, but I'm going to be the guy standing in line out there because I, I want the low prices. You cannot have it both ways. And that's one of the things that drives me crazy about that, that whole discussion because the reason walmart you know doesn't pay the employees to the extent i don't mean to pick on walmart but it's because people are demanding low prices and so that's how they do it if if people weren't lining up to shop and buy the stuff at low prices well okay maybe that would have an effect all right that's number one number two is this idea of well we need these these rich corporations to pay employees more I think is naive in the extreme, just naive in the extreme, because what's going to happen is you're going to see like what Wendy's is doing now. Okay, Wendy's is going more to these kiosks. Okay, so what they do is they decide, hey, you know, it's it's cheaper to buy put in a computerized kiosk where people can just go in and punch buttons and order than it is to hire people to work even at ten dollars an hour. You increase the minimum wage to twelve dollars or fourteen dollars or twenty dollars or whatever it is. Well, what's going to end up happening is they're just going to the store owners are just going to make this decision that boom, we're not going to pay the dough. We continue right there. It's 922. This is Jeff Wagner. 
24, Jeff Wagner, on the brink of announcing that he'll run for third term as governor. Governor Scott Walker and First Lady Jeanette Walker sit down with our very own John McCure. Don't miss this special WTMJ community conversation today, 4 to 5, limited commercial interruption only on Wisconsin's afternoon news. Our text line here has exploded on this particular subject. And, um, for example, here's here's one of our notations, and it's... uh, (sighs) You know, it's kind of interesting when we we look at this whole situation. Um, some of the theories are that, well, f- for example, if you were to provide more incentive for workers to have to work at, say, minimum wage jobs instead of collecting benefits, um, maybe that would have the dual issue of solving some of the problems we have with illegal immigration, where you have people who are coming into this country illegally because, well, um, there's jobs that are available that Americans don't want to do. And and again, I, I think this is a complicated issue. I appreciate that. But what Trump is talking about doing is the same thing that Walker has been pushing for for a long time, saying, you know, work requirements um, for able-bodied adults without dependent children. And I guess I just don't understand how reasonable people can disagree with that. If you're able to work and you don't have the child care responsibilities, why shouldn't you either be out looking for work or why shouldn't you be working as a condition of getting benefits? I mean, is that... Is that unreasonable? Everybody else is out there. You're, you're having to work. You're doing stuff. You just can't sit around unless you've amassed a fortune and you're living off your savings. I mean, at some point in time, able-bodied workers under the retirement age, I don't think it's unreasonable to suggest that as a condition of getting benefits, yeah, you should be out there actually doing what you are able to do. How much savings will this net? I don't know. But the problem is, again, whenever you have these entitlement programs – Anytime you try to tinker with them at all, even if it is common sense stuff, then it's, oh, this is the war on the poor and, you know, we'll find somebody and this is this person's going to lose their food stamps and their kids are going to go hungry. All right. As a policy matter, if you're able to work, you should be looking for work. Is that really that revolutionary a concept? It's 927, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up next, big thing number three, Governor Walker and property taxes is... Is he preaching to the choir? Stick around. It's 9.35, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The speculation around the David Clark continues. He announced... Well, about a week ago, that he was going to be leaving his job as Milwaukee County Sheriff to take a position that does not require Senate approval with the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Um, that has generated a lot of controversy. First of all, uh, appointments like that and jobs like that, the protocol is that they're they're announced by the department or the president or the head of the, the in this case it would be Homeland Security, not announced by the person who's going to get the job. So I understand that they're very controversial in that regard. They, that is the Department of Homeland Security, have not made any such announcement yet, which is causing some people to wonder whether the sheriff kind of shot himself in the foot by making the announcement early. What he did do, though, by making the announcement before Homeland Security did, is he's given his enemies a chance to kind of mobilize, and you've had 
various op-ed pieces in places like the Washington Post talking about how some people don't think he's qualified for the particular job. You've had, the, in my opinion, the hit piece that CNN did suggesting that he, he plagiarized his master's thesis. And as we talked about yesterday, I, that's, I, I just think that's, that's fake news. I, I, I just do. He wrote a master's thesis, and he quoted different people. He didn't put them in quotation marks. He put footnotes in. That's much ado about nothing. My big question would be what his advisors. I mean, if this was going to be an issue and it was a concern, why didn't his advisors say, hey, you know, David, you, you got to separate these out. Our form says put them in quotation marks, not footnotes. That is a fake news story. And there's all sorts of things that you can criticize David Clark for, but I thought that was a really, really cheap shot. But in any event, um, he is not, to my knowledge, sent a letter of re- resignation to the governor, which starts the, the whole process. Uh, Journal Sentinel is reporting that one of his top aides, a guy that I have known, gosh, that I've worked for, I've known probably my entire career, um, Kevin Carr, the former U.S. Marshal, who um, he was U.S. Marshal. He was appointed by Obama in 2010. But before that, he was in the Sheriff's Department. I worked with Kevin Carr for a number of years as part of the drug task force and thing and still run into him. Um, I think he's pretty much apolitical is how I, I would describe him. But he's... Um, He's indicating that he's interested and will be applying for the the job. Um, he, he'd be good, you know. He he he'd be good. Um, you know, he's been around law enforcement for forever, and um, I, I think you know Governor Walker could go further and do worse if he were to appoint Kevin Carr, assuming that the sheriff is to leave. All right, big story number three: Governor Walker and tax relief. The Republicans that have working majorities in the state legislature are are working their way through the governor's budget for reasons, well, that maybe we'll get into in a minute. They are considering various forms of tax increases, jacking up the, the, the tax on gasoline. Some people are looking at toll roads. Um, various different spending proposals. Governor Walker has been insistent that he he wants to continue um, the pattern that his administration has set uh, of giving property tax relief. Matter of fact, when he was on the show last Thursday, I believe, you know, he was talking about how frustrated he is that there's at least some Republicans who aren't willing to go along with his proposal to take. The, the state portion off of the property tax, off the property tax. If that, because what happens is when you get your property tax bill, um, if you if you look at it, you'll see it, it's broken down, and and some money goes to the state, and some money goes to the county, and some money goes to your local municipality, and some money goes to your local school district. You know, we put all sorts of stuff on the property tax, and one of the things that Governor Walker wants to do is, you know, he wants to remove, eliminate the state portion of the property tax, which would reduce taxes statewide over two years by about $180 million. Um, And that's part of his plan to keep property taxes on the average value home below where they were in 2014. And how many, you know, how many governors, how many legislators can deliver on a promise like that, saying not only do we not raise taxes, but we've actually lowered them. Number of Republicans 
apparently aren't willing to go along with this or giving some feedback or some blowback. And Governor Walker, um, he issued a series of tweets yesterday where he said that he is prepared to veto the entire state budget if it includes increases in property taxes. And, of course, this has some of the usual suspect and suspects in Madison all upset. We don't know why he would say he would do this and all. Um, but, but Walker, very, very clear. He said, look, I'm, I am not going to go along with any sort of tax increase. Now, here's what's going on in Madison. There are some politicians, including some who ran as Republicans, who think that taxes don't matter to you. That this, this whole issue of do we pay enough in taxes, are we paying too much, is the property tax too high, that that issue is way down on the table and that people really don't care and that if your property taxes went up a bit to give government more money to spend on this project or that project, that people don't care about it anymore and that there would not be any backlash from increasing property taxes. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think that is a gross miscalculation. I think Republicans did not win state Senate seats and did not win assembly seats with a blueprint and a, a, a green light to go to Madison and raise taxes. So let's tee this up. I think taxation continues to be what I will describe as a voting issue in this state. And if the state legislature were to decide through its Republican majorities, because Republicans own this, that is the reality. If Republicans were to decide that we are going to increase taxes, whether it's property taxes or gasoline taxes or whatever, I think I think that there would be a revolt. And I think that a lot of people who supported them time and time again would wonder what the heck is going on. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are property taxes still a big deal? Do you care if they get increased? Does it matter to you that we're holding the line on that? Or have we done that long enough? Are you prepared to pay more in taxes? Some Republicans apparently think so. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think those people are badly, badly, badly misjudging where we are. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, coming up in about five minutes. Uh, For everybody who thinks that we're just not giving the UW system enough money, wait till the MacGyver Institute has done a wonderful thing about looking at some of the classes that you can take that our tax dollars are helping underwrite. Uh, I'll share that in about five minutes. Right now, Governor Walker is sending out tweets warning the state legislature, and this would be the Republicans that dominate it, no tax increases. I will veto the budget if it contains property tax increases. Some Republicans think you don't care about that anymore. Jim in Milwaukee. Jim, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Um, politically, in my opinion, there would be much more of a political fallout for Governor Walker uh, than the rest of the Republicans or Democrats in the state Senate. You know, the Journal Sentinel would just have a field day bashing Scott Walker on that one. Oh, yeah. And Scott knows this. And, you know, not to mention his long-running 
campaign promises has been to, you know, keep property taxes in check right. and not raise them. So that's that's the issue. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's it just it would be political suicide to allow that for Governor Walker. I, you know, and I think I, I, I don't disagree with you, Jim. I also think it would be political suicide for a lot of Republicans to do that, because that's that's you know, imagine the campaign two years from now or four years from now or whatever. It's like, OK, you, you ran and said you were going to hold taxes in line and then you went ahead and you raised taxes. I mean. That is not raising taxes is not how Republicans get elected. Just remember, you know, the first President Bush, um, you know, Bush forty one, no new taxes. Read my lips. How did that play out when he raised taxes? Well, I think you know the uh, uh, Republicans in the state Senate, they're not going to get bashed like Governor Walker yeah. would in the press. Oh no, I, and I think that's. I mean, I, I think that's fair because I mean, Governor Walker owns this, but I mean. I, some people are wondering, you know, why did he go public with this? You know, why is he going on radio shows like mine, you know, touting this? Because I think he senses that among the general public, the electorate, including the people that put Republicans in office, that this idea of tax reform or holding the line on taxes, at least some Republicans believe it has died down, that people don't care about that, that it's a voting, it's not a voting issue. My advice to my friends in the legislature, if you are thinking that, you are making a huge miscalculation. You did not get elected to go to Madison and raise taxes. And if you forget that, you jeopardize your job and you jeopardize Republican um, majorities for years to come. All right, when we come back, the MacGyver Institute is out with its top five, my word, not anybody else's, ridiculous classes that you can take for credit at the UW system, our tax dollars at work. Stick around. It's 9.50. This is Jeff Wagner. 9.53, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. One of the things that drives me crazy about the UW system is is they're always pleading poverty. Oh, this is terrible. If if you restrict our ability to raise tuition on students, it's going to be awful. The world is going to end. I can't believe you're just destroying higher education in this state because we're not getting enough money for this or that or the other thing. Well, the MacGyver Institute... They track the way we spend some money. So they're out with this top five wasteful classes in the UW system. Let me share them. Number five on the list. This is what you can take for credit. This is what we are, we taxpayers are underwriting. Teaching for Social Justice, UW Superior. It's a philosophy course offered at UW Superior, which trains the teachers of tomorrow in social justice ideology. One of the main goals of the course is for students to reflect on their privilege and marginalization. Feel guilty because you are privileged. Students also review how meritocracy and the American dream is a myth. Why work hard to achieve your dreams if you can blame sexism or racism or classism or sexuality for your lack of success? A portion of the participation grade is based on whether or not students were inclusive and supported other students in expressing their thoughts. Our tax dollars at work. Number four. The History of Politics of Hip-Hop, UW-Platteville. This court satisfies the ethnic studies requirement for graduation and focuses on hip-hop as a cultural phenomena that has influenced America and the entire um, world. Our tax dollars at work. Forget foreign languages and math and English and that stuff. Here are the politics of hip-hop. Number three, UW-Lacrosse, Exploring White Privilege. 
This course operates under the assumption that all white people are racist, but most just haven't realized it yet. The course objectives include confronting personal denials of white privilege, developing strategies to confront racism, and deconstructing the conscious and unconscious ways while white privilege shapes our views, thoughts, and actions. So in other words, all you white people, you are racists, and we at UW-Lacrosse need to educate people about it. Wasteful course number two, Culture of Third Wave Feminism, UW Eau Claire. Um, All right, this is, uh, let's see, this satisfies a liberal education requirement for graduation. For one class assignment, students perform a positive pro-feminist act and share with the class for 10% of the final grade. Also, other assignments include watching an episode of Sex and the City and reading about lumber sexuality. What is lumber sexuality, you might ask? Well, that's what I'm here to share this with you. Lumber sexuality is apparently a metrosexual man posing to be a rugged lumberjack in order to capture loss or missing masculinity due to um, being emasculated by things such as his childhood environment. This course also delves into white privilege, (laughs) and students are required to attend a recognizing privilege workshop, which has videos like, how privileged are you? This is our taxpayer dollars at work. And this is the UW system. It says, we don't have enough money to teach kids, but they're offering silliness like this. And according to the MacIver Institute, the number one ridiculous waste of money course, class, state, and ideology, an introduction to social science in the Marxist tradition, UW-Madison. In first place, the UW system's most wasteful class is this graduate-level course taught by an infamous instructor. The syllabus, 31 pages long, with over 40 pages of supplementary topics, details how capitalism is evil and highlights the Marxist terms and concepts the students will review over the course of the semester. Students are taught that the point of Marxism is to transform the world in ways that increase the possibility of human emancipation. Um, Is that why people desperately flee socialists and communist countries to the safe haven of their capitalized counterparts? Um, All right. Bottom line is, every time you hear anybody from UW say, we just don't have enough money. We have to charge the students more tuition. We just can't provide quality education. Look at some of the courses and the foolishness that is being offered on these campuses and ask yourself, when they plead poverty, you know, are they being honest or are they just sticking their heads in the sand and saying, oh, you know, the truth of the matter is, if they lose a little bit of money and that means maybe they got to cancel the class on the politics of hip-hop or the class about white privilege Maybe that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. It's 9.58. In just a couple minutes, I want to talk to you about a burning question, especially with summer coming up. What do you do with kids and jobs? Stick around. 9.58, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 10.08, Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us. When I was growing up, Back, back in back in the day, as a teenager around here, there was sort of an expectation during the summer that you would find a job and, and you would work. Um, I remember my, my first job, I was, uh, 
I got a stock boy. Yes, I understand that's politically incorrect now. But I was a stock boy at the old Treasure Island store. It used to be up on uh, Brown Deer Road. It was a dis- it was a version of J.C. Penney's. It was kind of their discount store. It was a it was on Brown Deer Road and Green Bay Road, you know, and uh, Brown Deer up there. So that, that that was my first job. I, I think it was when I was sixteen. But but there was I mean most of my friends worked at jobs when we we were teenagers. Um, there was just that kind of expectation, and it wasn't necessarily because. I mean, I grew up in a in a middle class environment. It wasn't it wasn't so much that you you had to work necessarily, but the expectation was that you're you're going to you know you're going to go out and and work. And the expectation was okay if you're in college during the summers you're you're going to find a job and and you're going to you're going to work. That was kind of the expectation. Um, I'm I'm surrounded now by people who are involved in hiring people for the summer. Um, whether it's in, for example, the hospitality industry, like restaurants or um, grocery industry, you know, where you have people that are coming back and all. And and I know that there's always this challenge to go out and find good people. There's a story in the Wall Street Journal that I find absolutely um, fascinating. Overall, teen employment has been steadily declining for nearly 40 years. Let, let me give you an indication. Um, 1978, and let's compare apples to apples. 1978, so go back almost 40 years. Looking at the month of July, um, the number of teenagers who were participating in the labor force um, was 72%. So back in 1978, almost 7 out of 10 teenagers were, were doing something during the summer. They had a summer job. Now, uh, last year, that number is 43%. So that's down, you know, I mean, 72% to 43%. Um, and, and this is part of this overall trend. Um, you know, part of the trend is that, I mean, there's malls are closing down. So, you know, a lot of the, the typical, like, summer jobs that would be there, hey, you're going to get a job at the mall doing this or the other thing. That, it, as retailers are struggling, they're, they're cutting back, and that's part of it. But the Bureau of Labor Statistics went out and did this survey, and what they found is that um, most of the teens who, who didn't have a job weren't necessarily interested in finding one. And, and I think that's because... Well, a lot of factors. I think in in part it's because maybe moms and dads aren't pushing them to go out and work. I understand we're we're in this sort of structured environment now where, okay, well, work might be secondary to let's try to get things on your, your resume so you can apply to colleges and things like that. And, you know, everybody's, you know, during the summer it's overstructured. Well, you've got band camp, and you've got, you know, football season starts here, and you've got debate camp, and you've got this, and you've got that, and you've got the other thing, and so th- these jobs aren't, aren't as important because, you know, you've got all the, these other things. I believe that there, if parents are not pushing their teenagers, and this, again, I'm, I'm not a parent, so maybe it's easy for me to do this, but I, I believe if you're not out there pushing your teenager to get a summer job, you are making a huge mistake. Because I, I don't care how much money you have, and I don't care whether the kid needs to work or not. I think there is an inherent value to work, to learning 
th- this structure uh, of having to be at a certain place at a certain time. You know, the, okay, your shift starts at eight o'clock in the morning. You you gotta be there. You gotta be there by eight. And, and yes. You have to learn that sometimes, you know, you're going to have somebody other than mom and dad that's going to be telling you what to do. And, yes, sometimes you're going to be working at jobs that might not be pleasant or you might think it's beneath you or whatever. But I think in many respects that gives you a great life lesson. I mean, I I will tell you, if, if I ever thought about not going to law school or something like that, all I had to do was think back to some of the crummy jobs that I had to say, hey, this is not what I want to do for the rest of, of my life. And 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 you might miss that if you're not working in the summer. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And look, and I, I understand it's important to go do the band camps and things like that, but I also think it is important for teenagers to get out into the labor force and learn what it's like to work, you know, at various jobs, even though that job isn't necessarily going to be what they're going to do for the rest of their life. I think it's great for the kids. And I think if to the extent that mom and dad aren't out there pushing the kids to try to find something to do during the summer, I think they're making a mistake. Okay, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're on the line, please hold on. We discuss next. 1014, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1016, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The WTMJ Classic Free Ride is out of our garage and ready to head into yours. You can register online to win the 1968 Valenti Oldsmobile 442 convertible by heading to WTMJ.com, sponsored by Prescient Financial Solutions with Northwestern Mutual. And don't forget to text the word RIDE to 414-799-1620 to check out a photo gallery of your next car. If you're just tuning in, Wall Street Journal has a story. Um, in the last 40 years, the number of teenagers participating in the labor force uh, during the summer, July to July, has dropped from 70-plus percent to slightly over 40 percent. Now, I, I didn't go to the tabs, and I, I don't think they're including, like, 13- and 14-year-olds. But but this is part of a growing trend where more and more teenagers are passing on summer jobs to either – better themselves, boost stuff for their college resumes, or just sit on their butts. And I think mom and dads are making a huge mistake in not pushing people to go out and work. I still vividly remember my first job at 16. It was a great learning experience, and it was a great teacher and lesson and responsibility of knowing that you have to be somewhere, you have to do stuff that you're necessarily not going to like, but then they're going to give you money for it. I remember the first paycheck I earned, and I mean, I did stuff like cutting lawns and things, but I remember the first paycheck I earned, and you know, how much I appreciated that and how it gave me a sense of value for money. Let's start with Drew in Germantown. Drew, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, there's a couple parts to this story, though. Um, I just retired a couple years ago from working 23 years in retail. I did quite a few years of fast food before that. Mm-hmm. And back when I was around early 40s, a lot of the incoming 16 to 18 year olds we were hiring, their parents were my age. They were the products of the liberal colleges. They didn't want their kids to have to work like they did. (laughs) Okay. But nowadays, there's a lot less payroll dollars for, like, retail or even in the restaurants. So there's not as many jobs available for them either. 
No, and, and that that's the other. I mean, no, thank you're right, and that's that that's the other side of the factor that they're pointing out in this Wall Street Journal story about how as, as you've had the decline of the malls, that the typical retail jobs as they're as they're going away, a lot of the summer jobs are going away. But still, I don't think that and I don't think that explains. You know, the, the larger trend that you're, you're having this many people in large numbers, I don't get the sense that, as a general rule, kids can't find summer jobs. That might be true in some circumstances, but but I don't think that's the large – the larger issue to me is that I think they're not looking for summer jobs because – your point, your point, your mom and dad have decided, well, we had to work and, and we don't want you to have to work. I think that's a huge mistake because even if it's menial work, it, it's work and it helps teach you that work ethic. Um, Karen in Neshota. Karen, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Uh, yes, hi. hi. I agree with your position. I think that um, kids are not getting jobs as much. My daughter is a head lifeguard at a local country club and right. these kids that she's involved in hiring say oh i want to work 20 hours and then they end up when all these activities come up they want to you know they want to trade all their shifts if they don't get a trade they don't show up they want to work five hours a week. right right yeah <laughs> or, or I, I need this day off or i need that day off and obviously for big things you want to try as an employer to accommodate them but but big things don't happen every other day <laughs> yeah no i agree and with my daughter, for some reason, I, I don't know why, we kind of have to hold her back from working more. You know, we keep <laughs> saying, you don't have to work over 40 hours a week, well, right. you know, and she's in high school. So right. every kid's different, but I, it is definitely noticeable. Well, right. And, and again, you, you know, you, 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 want your, you want your child to have fun and be able to enjoy the summer a little bit and things like that. But at the same time, you know, I, I think the responsibility of, hey, I, I have to... I can't go out with my friends tonight because I got to be at work at seven o'clock the next morning or whatever. That that's that's a good trait to learn at some point in time early on. I think. Yeah, and I think that it's also a over pampering of um, our kids. Um, thanks. Well, I think that that's that's part of it as well. Um, I have on my text line. I had a summer job in a factory, moving heavy stuff fifty five hours a week on an elevator. Um, OSHA never saw. Since then, whenever I run into a difficult situation, I think about that job. Yeah, that that is one of the that is one of the life lessons that's kind of out there that that follows you through. And I was saying that earlier. When whenever I thought, oh, gee, you know, maybe maybe I I, I don't want to stay in school, or maybe I don't want to do that. You remember back to some of the crappy jobs you did during the summer, and you think, okay, I don't I I, I want to try to. I, I don't want to do that for the rest of my life. Uh, Beth on our text line says, kids are given so much these days by their parents. There is also a great value to learning about pay for work, earning what you get. My parents provided my needs, but at a certain point, um, my wants were up to me. Let's talk to um, Gail in Rockford, Illinois. Gail, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Uh, so glad to be able to talk to you. This Thank morning. you for calling. And, and I'm really enthusiastic about your topic today i have said for the past number of years kids don't want to work and teenage working experience can really give them some good life lessons Mm -hmm. sure i i have a 37 year old son and a 35 year old daughter who began working at age 16 and they just wouldn't dream of not being working ever right even when they were going to school Right. What sort of jobs? What scale? What sort of jobs did they do? Do you remember, like, when, when, when? What were some of their first jobs? Uh, 
my son was a short order cook at uh-huh. a local family restaurant. Okay. And my daughter worked in food service. She was, you know, at the counter person. Okay. And fortunately, her employers were both, both of their employers were very accommodating yeah. to their schedules, but they did not ask for a lot of time off. And right. it, they loved the satisfaction of having their own money. Yeah, exactly. And you, I mean, that's what I remember. It's the, I still, I vividly remember the first paycheck I got sitting there thinking, I know how much time I've had to put in and, and this is, this is the money I got. But it made me really think about spending the thing when it was money that was, that I had to earn as opposed to money that my mother or father had given me. It just, it teaches, it teaches you so much so much about life, the responsibility and, you know, and, and the value of money. I just, you, I don't think we're doing people a favor if we don't ask them to work. Oh, absolutely not. I tell you, they used to want to buy maybe an expensive pair of shoes. And when they found out how much they had to pay if they were going to buy them, they reconsidered a <laughs> yeah. lot of their purchases. Yeah. How, how lo- but I'm right. not saying that. Right. How, yeah, right. How long do I have to work behind that hot grill in 75 or 80 or 90 degree weather to earn these pair of shoes? No. That, 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 and that, again, that is the value. And don't get me wrong. This isn't one of these, like, get off my lawn, kids, and things like that. It's just part of the overall experience. And I'm not saying it's not valuable to go to debate camp or, you know, to, to go to, you know, cheerleader camp or the basketball things and stuff like that. But the reality is, you know, for, for most of us, Okay, we're we're not going on to the NBA. We're, we're we're not, and so it's important to let kids be kids and have fun and do these type of things. But at the same time, there are life lessons that you can learn um, early on. Okay, on a text line, uh, my first job was at Forest Home Cemetery in the push mower crew. Mowed circles around tombstones all day long. Motivated me to complete college. Um, let's talk to Adam in Fond du Lac. Adam, you're at six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. Hi, Adam. Um, so much of what I do hear from the younger generation today is that, that life is about um, uh, doing what I want and getting what I want, this idea that I've, I've got to find myself and that it should be, I should do things in line with what I feel like I should be doing. And, right. Um, <laughs> sometimes you just got to do hard things, you know. Well, and that helps you find yourself. <laughs> you know, right. Yeah, I yeah. don't know. But, but everything should be a joy. Everything should be a blast. And if I don't like it, I don't have to do it. And so, so many kids I talk to, they just don't work and they don't have any intention of doing it. Yeah, right. And, and they don't, and there's not that pressure because, you know, mom and dad kind of coddle them. I mean, look, I, I'm very proud of my goddaughter, my, my, nep- my niece, um, who's, you know, going away to college next fall. But I don't know that she, she does well. She's a really, really good student. Um, but, but for the last couple of years, she's worked at various retail, retail jobs. Um, I don't know that she would have necessarily had to work. But she worked because my my brother and sister-in-law wanted her to work. Um, it taught her some responsibility. I think it's helped with the value of, of money. And, and, yeah, she still managed to find time to do fun things and stuff like that. Um, so I, I think you can have that balance that's out there. We continue the conversation in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. I, I just This story in the Wall Street Journal just really caught my attention that the number of teenagers participating in the summer labor force is just down so dramatically. And I, I just think we're making a big mistake here. It's 1026. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Mary in Milwaukee. Mary, good morning. Uh, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. Uh, yes, a number of years ago, I had worked for the Wisconsin State Fair. Right. And it was so difficult to get teenagers to commit to 
11 days of work. <laughs> Gee, the state fair runs from like the end of July, you know, for 11 days into like early August. Oh my gosh, how can we expect to commit for 11 days? Wow. You know, and, and uh, you know, being hired and, you know, okay, you know, this is when you're going to be working from this state to this state. Right. You know, do you see that being a problem? Well, yeah, I have to have off because I want to go to a party. <laughs> you know, if it, if it would be something that, oh, well, you know, I'm going to be starting college and no, no, no. I have to move in. Yeah, it's, you know, no, but it's not different. that. Well, no, and, and that's, and again, I, I don't mean to sound like the, hey, kids, get off my lawn type of guy, but that's, you know, Back in the day, you know, if you could have an opportunity to work at the state fair or Summerfest or something like that, it would be so cool. That That's great. Yes, maybe you have to walk around and, you know, pick up the grounds and things like that. But, yeah, now it's, now it's okay, well, no, how many days off? Okay, it's only an 11-day festival, for goodness sakes. Wow. Exactly. Now, thank- and, and it just it, it shows, you know, so much disrespect for the parents who are not, Telling them, you know, okay, this is your responsibility. Um, no, well, right. I, I, I'm going to. Okay, I'm not going to use his name, but I, I have a, I have a friend who is one of the more successful people that I, I have met. He, he's was a successful lawyer and has had other just really incredible successes in life. Really, really successful guy. Um, his kids who did not need the money. That would not have had to work, did not need the money. Um, They worked every summer when they were growing up. Now they're out of college. But they worked every summer at Summerfest, for example. You know what they did? They worked overnight at Summerfest. What happens is Summerfest closes down at midnight or whatever, and they have an army of people who come, and they walk around, and they pick up garbage. That's what they do overnight at Summerfest, so it's clean by the time people come in. Okay, my, my buddy, and I'm not going to mention his name because I didn't ask him to do this, but I mean, his kids who did not have to work, they worked. I mean, they, they got jobs. They worked overnight picking up crap at Summerfest and cleaning the bathrooms and doing whatever meaning, you know, whatever menial type of job, and I say that in quotation marks because a job is a job, but they did whatever. And they didn't have to work, but it's because I think my buddy and his wife realized we, we want our kids to understand, you know, what people do and how you have to work hard as a motivation to keep them in school. And I, I just think we're losing that a little bit. <laughs> It's 1038, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The first place brewers. Let's just let, let that linger in the air for a minute. The first place brewers open a six-game homestand by welcoming the Toronto Blue Jays. Bob Euchre and Jeff Levering are on the call tonight at Miller Park. They'll begin coverage at 6.05 here on WTMJ, sponsored by Catholic Financial Life. I don't know how long this ride is going to last. Um, because objectively, you look at the brewers on, on paper, and you, you don't see a team that's good. It's, 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 it seems to be like a team a year or two away from seriously competing for the playoffs. But after the last couple of years where the April and May were just so awful that they had essentially played themselves out of that, um, it's, it's very cool to be sitting here. And, okay, you've got Memorial Day weekend coming up. Um, I don't know what's going to happen this week, but there certainly they, they might – be in first place going into Memorial Day, or they're going to be very close to it. Um, and what's more is that it's a fun baseball team. They're playing good baseball. The, the bad games, they had a bad game in Chicago on Sunday, but even the games that they've lost, they've been, as a general rule, they have been extremely competitive in. And, and that's, 
it's just fun to watch and it's fun to listen to. And we've got the game tonight. If you can't get out to Miller Park or best of all worlds, you know, put on your headphones and go to Miller Park. Okay. I am, if you're a regular listener, uh, you know that I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by what we do in pop culture and how how things change and evolve, and, and actually how fragile certain things that you think are institutions can be. I, you know, I talk about restaurants from time to time, and it's always amazing to me that sometimes you'll have the, these restaurants that you, were just institutions. Carl Rosh is a great example of that. A Milwaukee institution. I mean, Carl Rosh has been here forever, and then taste change, and, you know, it goes through some business things, and maybe there's a bad decision here or there or whatever, but all of a sudden this institution is gone. And, and you see that with restaurants. You also, I, I think, see it, as far as pop culture goes, with, with TV programs and TV stations. For arguably the last 20 years, Fox News has been the dominant player in 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 cable television um you know roger ailes who passed away what a week or so ago um he he just republican operative um recognized that there was a huge need to counterbalance the the left leaning of the mainstream media you know and he created fox news and, and roger ailes might have had all sorts of issues and things like that but there's no question the guy was visionary and the guy was an incredible success and he helped you know develop Lots and lots of talent that turned Fox News into the 600-pound gorilla in in the cable news network, and you create. I mean, he he helped create and nurture. You know, big stars: Megyn Kelly, like her lover, like her lover or hater. Megyn Kelly, huge star. Um, Bill O'Reilly, I mean, huge star. Bill Riley, just the dominant force in cable television. Sean Hannity, to extent as well. Okay, well, Roger Ailes gets forced out in a quote-unquote scandal involving sexual harassment um, nine, ten months ago. He's now passed away. Um, Bill O'Reilly, who, you know, the O'Reilly factor, that that was the, the go-to, that was kind of the gold standard of cable news. Bill O'Reilly forced out uh, amidst allegations that he was involved in sexual harassment. Megan Kelly, um, you know, she leaves a few months ago. Now she's at, you know, and she's going to be starting her new show at NBC sometime in the relatively near future. O'Reilly's gone. He's off podcasting somewhere. Um, you know, Sean Hannity is probably only of that big trifecta, that big three. He's still he's the only guy left. Now they have other people, of course. But but here's what I found interesting: new numbers are out, and Fox News, Fox News comes in number three. Um, behind CNN and behind MSNBC. You know, Fox News, one day would win week after week after week, year after year. Um, but like looking at the, the target demo that they care about, 25 to 54, CNN winning the total race, MSNBC scoring in prime time, Fox News ranking below the other two for the first time in almost 17 years. 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Have you gotten tired of Fox News? 
has the, the the Trump bubble the maybe and see and some people would look at this and say well the left is energized the liberals are energized now and you'll know, give us the MBC, MSNBC you know Trump bashing give give us that give us the CNN spin on these things that the Trump bashers the Trump haters are out there and they're driving it and I do think that that's that's part of it I think the left is energized with the anti-Trump stuff, and they are going to the networks that are giving them that. At the same time, I don't think you can lose a Roger Ailes. I don't think you can lose a Bill O'Reilly. I don't think you can lose a Megyn Kelly and not not be hurt. So I, I think Fox News is going to be struggling for a while. Do you watch it as much as you used to? Do they have problems? Is this a blip caused by circumstance, or is it going to be a longer-term issue? I think, I think, and look, I, I'm a fan of Fox News, but I, I think they've got, I think they've got some issues. I think it's more than just the, this anti-Trump bubble. But I don't watch as much cable news as perhaps you do. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. It's ten forty-five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. Ten forty-eight. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. For me, here's one of the most aggravating things about the the, the, the ratings just cratering that's going on at Fox News. Um, Rachel Maddow, and I, I I admit I can't stand Rachel Maddow. My late wife, who was a lefty, she couldn't stand Rachel Maddow. I mean, she she just she and she'd watch this stuff. She couldn't stand Rachel Maddow. But Rachel Maddow, um, she's now. She's now just kicking butt. I mean, she's regularly number one in this, the, the, especially the, in that 25 to 54 uh, demo. I mean, she's Rachel Maddow. How scary is this? Has become, you know, the go to force for political news. Rachel Maddow. But I, I, you know, the question is, is it just a blip at Fox News or is it something longer term going on? And I, I, I think they've got some long term issues. John on the north side. John, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning. What do you think? Um, well, okay. First off, I'm going to preface this by saying I don't know if you're going to agree with what I'm about to say. Um, That's okay. I, if we always I agreed with things, life would be boring. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Um, I think it's a longer-term issue. Mm-hmm. And my problem with Fox News, it's been kind of brewing for quite a while. They're so far to the right that it's almost like I almost feel like I'm being spoon-fed. And I don't mm-hmm. want to... And I don't want to make it seem like I'm anti-conservative no, no. or pro-liberal or anything like that. I just want to be able to get the facts mm-hmm. and then make, and then allow my allow me to make my own decisions hey. as far as you know what this means. No, and see, and, um, no, and I I understand I understand exactly what you're saying in the the era, particularly in the era of Trump, John. You're seeing like two camps develop. Oh, you're oh, seeing yeah. the the MSNBC CNN camp that hates Donald Trump and he can do nothing right and yeah. anything yeah. he does is going to be spun in the worst possible light. And I do there's a lot of people who are saying the same thing what what Fox has become is it's sort of become Donald Trump can do absolutely nothing wrong. Sort of the, oh, oh yeah. Right. And so, you know, even even when there there's sort of outrageous things that get done, you know, Trump can do nothing wrong, so we're going to be the ultimate defender. You are seeing that split that's going on and candidly oh, yeah. it's going on in my industry as well and 
Guys like me are sort of in the middle, and like my, my attitude is, look, I'm, I'm going to criticize Trump when I think he deserves to be criticized, but I'm not going to take a position that everything he does is horrible because everything he's doing isn't horrible. Um, but we're, we're losing nuance, I think, you know, certainly in the TV coverage. Yeah, I agree. I mean, well, for me, it's kind of like, okay, I, don't, I can't really listen to Fox News anymore because they're so far to the right. I can't listen to MSNBC really anymore because they're so far to the left. Right. No, and it, it's kind of like, ah! No, no, I, exa- no, I, I get it. No, I, most, said, I don't think... Time, most of the time, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut no. they, um, only, you. No. Know, I listen mostly to, MS, to uh, CNN. The only reason why is because of the three, that's, they're the ones that I can actually... Stomach the, the least. I the right, right. Not, I, you, you, know, don't, you don't. You don't. hate. You hate the others more. Now, thanks to call. And, it, and it's, it's, it, it is this interesting thing. Now, part of it again is, is the world of, of Trump. I mean, Saturday Night Live, just with with their skewering of Trump, they they had one of their biggest ratings years in in years and years because again, the 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 left is energized in a way that I don't think I've seen them. Uh, certainly, since uh, maybe when Obama got elected, or or maybe in this in this case, it's not a pro thing. It's they're energized by the hatred of Trump, and so you, you know, he's had this. I think this return to this embrace of kind of the liberal programming, and it is always a pendulum. I mean, there's no question about it. But this is where we are in the media nowadays, where you're really seeing. You're, you're really seeing camps develop, and I understand there's always been these type of camps, but now it's either you got to hate Trump or you've got to love Trump, and there's no room for you know people who want to like look at it on a case by case basis and say, okay, I think this was a dumb thing to say or do, um, but I think this was a good thing to say or do. The other reality is that at at Fox, you you can't lose a Bill O'Reilly. And you can't lose a Megyn Kelly, and you can't lose a Roger Ailes, who was not the guy on TV, but the guy behind the scenes. You can't lose all those people at once and not expect it to you know, sting a bit. You, you just absolutely can't. So where this plays out, I don't know. But my God, if it's going to mean Rachel Maddow, the dominant force in cable news, just, what do I say? Just, just give me strength. That's why... That's why I'm glad that Lakefront makes beer. And that's all I got to say. It's 1053, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hey, coming up in just a few minutes, just a few minutes, I know that there are a lot of you out there who think that we need to legalize marijuana, that we should legalize marijuana. We're going to revisit this topic because I've got a story out of Colorado where marijuana is legal that might give maybe some of you some pause. Stick around. It's 1053, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1056, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. A group is up in arms over an Oconomowoc sign that welcomes visitors on behalf of the community's churches. Does this signage cross the line of church and state separation? That noise you almost heard was me banging my forehead against the microphone. Do you think it needs to be taken down? Way in during Scafidi and Billstadt at 12.35 this afternoon. They do a great job. Check them out. Um, I, Jim, you know, Jim Sensenbrenner, who can be aggravating. I've known Jim for a long time, and he can be aggravating. But one of the things I love is he, he 
love him or hate him, you know, he, he loves these town halls. He loves to engage. And so, you know, he goes to the town halls and then you've got all the AstroTurf protesters that come and it's and he just he just enjoys it. He lets people go out and vent and what's happened is he, he's being stalked by a lot of people, including a lot of these like organized groups that many of whom aren't even in his district, and they come out and they yell things about how terrible it is that, you know, you might change Obamacare, that type of stuff. But um this, this latest one just has to make me laugh because the headline should be the 1960s are calling, and they want the protest back. So he has this town hall um, the other day, and what happens is, was it Hartford, I think? and Right, Heartland. So all these people show up, about, about all these people. I mean, there's about 20 people who are some group calling themselves Indivisible Wauwatosa, and they show up carrying um, fake tombstones, and apparently they 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 lay down outside the village hall, you know, pretending that they are they are people who are going to die. They're going to die if we do away with the entitlement program that is Obamacare. All right, I, I, again, you know, d- take yourselves too seriously, folks. I mean, it's just kind of like, all right, you know, really? So the idea that, gee, you might have to pay for your own birth control pills, that's going to cause you to die? I mean, seriously? The reality is Obamacare, it's not sustainable in its present form, and you know, people need to wise up to that and grow up, but I I just love it. So it's, again, these these are the protests that are out there, and I think probably many people who are doing it are kind of those aging hippies or now aged hippies for whom you know 1968 was the highlight of their protest environment. So now they're, they're able to relive this 50 years later, the, the days of their youth. But I mean, really, um, they're playing dead at a Sensenbrenner town hall. Like I say, the 60s calling are calling. They want their protest back. It's 10:59. Coming up in just a couple minutes. Ah, one town isn't so thrilled with legalized marijuana. I'll explain. Eleven oh nine. This is Jeff Wagner. Potheads of Wisconsin, get ready. Get on your speed dials. Pull out those brownies. Climb out of mom's basement. I, I'm, I'm willing to take you on on this issue. I, I know from doing this as long as I have and discussing issues related to this that there are many, many people out there who believe that legalized marijuana is the way to go. I, I hear the argument, and I, I've heard the various arguments. It's, okay, well, we, we legalize alcohol. You know, marijuana is no worse than alcohol. We should have that. Now, I don't know. I, I don't want the guy who drives the train, you know, at the zoo. I don't want him, you know, like, drinking alcohol, and I'm not sure I want him smoking pot either. I know I don't want to smoke in pot. I mean, and I guess that, that's always been a kind of a silly argument to me because, I, I don't know if you if you go out and you say okay well alcohol is bad so marijuana is no worse than that here let let's legalize that let's have this other vice that's there I believe for some people not all people but for some people marijuana is a gateway drug that is that you know you don't you typically don't start on heroin or cocaine or methamphetamine you start on marijuana I understand that that's not everybody but I do think it's a gateway drug I firmly believe that if you legalize marijuana it will also increase the number of people who do marijuana I I, I just I believe that and I guess I'm just not sure that, you know, creating a nation of potheads is necessarily in our interest. And I apologize to you potheads that are out there. But I get the arguments. It's like, hey, you know, it's this freedom of thing. It's not that bad. And um, you can legalize it. You can tax it. All those type of stuff. So, I mean, I, I understand the arguments. So I have been 
in my effort to be open-minded about this, I have been really looking at the experience of the handful of states that have legalized marijuana. Because cause to me, that's that's the test. That was when we were talking about concealed carry, for example, in Wisconsin for years and years, and there was the argument that you were getting from the anti-gun folks about how, oh, this is going to be terrible if you if you let if you let law-abiding citizens carry concealed firearms with permits, it's going to be awful. It's going to be the Wild West. And and I'd say, okay, well, let's look at the states that have it. Forty-eight states at the time had some form of legalized concealed carry. Are you telling me that Wisconsin residents are more bloodthirsty than the other 48 states? No. I mean, that was the thing. So I have been – I'm watching the the experiment and how this is playing out in other states. Let me share with you a story from Fox News. Legalized marijuana turns Colorado resort town into a homeless magnet. Um, story that starts off, guys at an outdoor equipment store in downtown Durango, Colorado. Downtown Durango, Colorado, is a, it's a resort town. It's one of these sort of picturesque towns. It, it's kind of on the Colorado-New Mexico border. It's sort of in the in the... Again, in the mountains. But it's one of these things that a uh, tourist place tracks all sorts of, uh, historically, you know, money and things like that. People go to vacation there. The picturesque town, this is the story, near the New Mexico border, once a vibrant upscale community dotted with luxury hotels, is being overrun by panhandlers, thanks in large part to the legalization of marijuana. The town has suddenly become a haven for recreational pot users, drawing in transients, panhandlers, and a large number of homeless drug addicts, according to officials and business owners. Many are coming from nearby New Mexico, Arizona, but some come from as far away as New York. Um, Legalized marijuana, this is what they say, has drawn a lot of kids from other states, and the impact has not been good. Several people holding cardboard signs could be seen along the streets of Durango. Some just ask for marijuana or simply what they want with a photo of a green pot leaf. But it's not just pot users that are being drawn to Durango. The city really started freaking out when they started seeing needles in the streets. Um, let's see. Um, the, they say panhandling has gotten out of hand since the state legalized marijuana. Just this year, this is a business owner, there has been a major influx of people between 20 and 30 who are just hanging out on the streets. Many of them are pretty mellow. However, there are many more who are violent. Quotes a business owner who says now they're regularly kicking out vagrants who perch themselves in front of the store. Um, most of the kids are here from out of state, uh, says this business owner. And, you know, we it obviously has a lot to do with legalized pot. They've also noticed an uptick in crime in the area. Shoplifting has become a major problem, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, and it goes on. But But what they're finding is, at least in this town, What's happened is, by legalizing pot, first of all, it has become a magnet for vagrants. You have young people in particular who are coming. Um, they don't have jobs. They're hanging out. They are panhandling. And it's not just marijuana users that are coming. It's also, again, people who are using different types of drugs as well. Some are mellow. Some aren't. And all the people in at least this one community say, all right, this this." It's marijuana. It's the legalized marijuana that is attracting people to this particular community. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 
if we were to legalize marijuana here, would the same thing happen? You know, would, would you see more people, more panhandlers on the street, more vagrants, more problems? And is that a reason to consider not doing it? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, I, I think, you know, you want to take lessons and draw lessons from, you know, places that are doing something. And at least in this community, in this story, you know, they're, they're not at all happy with what legalized marijuana has done. Let's start with Dan in Berlin. Dan, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call, yes, sir. Jeff. Um, the term we used when I was using was awake and baker. And <laughs> yeah. I was awake and baker for... You wake well, up and you get baked. Yep. <laughs> yep. Most, uh, the 80s are kind of a blur. Um, you know, there are people out there that are capable of managing their lives and smoking dope. But those people are the exception, not the rule. Mm -hmm. They do not have, uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there that just can't get their act together when they're stoned. Mm -hmm. And that's, and that's, uh, what, I mean, tell give me the Reader's Digest version of your story. So you you were a guy you'd, you'd wake up you you'd smoke dope you got high you 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 just kind of lost a decade of your life or so, huh? I discovered I discovered pot in college and uh, thus no degree. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, whizzed away a nice scholarship. Uh, woke up a decade later and realized, hey, where did the eighties go? Yeah. And uh, you know, and it was it makes you it, they call it dope for a reason. Makes yeah. you stupid, makes you lazy, and uh, you know. And it's also, I mean, it's it's also part of the sign of the counterculture. Counter you know, you're a rebel. You, you know, I'm going to do what I want to do, that kind of thing. And you know, eventually, I, I look at it as I grew up and decided, you know, this isn't doing me any good. Wake up and and right. you know, and, and well, now I'm a truck driver instead of you know whatever a degree I would have gotten. Right, uh, but. It's well, and obviously I can't be a dope smoker and be a truck driver, right? <laughs> you know, but well, it it, it makes you well, it makes but, okay. You but you're right. You're here. You're here to testify. It it killed your ambition and negatively affected your life, right? Exactly. And then it's a, it, it is kind of a gateway, and it may you know, and I don't want to see a bunch of stoners hanging around my town any more than there already are. Well, that's I mean, right? I mean, see, that's see my basic premise with this is that if you, and some people dispute it, but to me it just makes sense. If you, thanks for the call, if you legalize this, more people will do it. And I understand there's lots of people that smoke pot, but if, if you were to legalize this, um, take away that stigma, take away any sort of consequences at, at all, at least legal consequences, I mean, I, I think you'd see more and more people doing it. You know, can you be... Can you be a recreational user of something like marijuana? Yeah, I, I, I know, that, and there's a lot of people probably like you, Dan, that grow out of it. Some people j just don't. And, I mean, I don't want to get into a debate about whether alcohol is more debilitating than, than marijuana or, or whatever, but the question is, if you accept that there's negative consequences from marijuana use, why, why do we want to embrace why why do we want to create multiple generations of increased numbers of potheads? Is that really good for society? And at least this Fox News story is saying, hey, they, they've tried it in Colorado, at least in this one town, and it's not working out that well. Uh, but 
that's arguably, I guess, not a reason to not do it. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We continue the conversation next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1119. It's 1121. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. My producer, Hondo, makes me laugh. That is, of course, one toke over the line by Brewer and Shipley. They were playing the night George Carlin was arrested at Summerfest. I was at that show. Brewers, Brewer and Shipley. This is their big song, One Toke Over the Line. And uh, Arlo Guthrie and Siegel Schwal Blues Band. Yeah, I remember George Carlin. Um, yep, I, I was, in fact, there. People claim to have been at the Ice Bowl. I wasn't at the Ice Bowl, but I was at Summerfest the night George Carlin got arrested. So were Brewer and Shipley. All right, there's a story out about the, the impact of legalizing marijuana on different communities. And the story I was looking at focuses on one Colorado resort town close to the New Mexico border. And they're saying since legalized, since pot was legalized, they've had a huge problem. Transients flocking into the state, generally speaking, 20 to 30-year-olds, no employment, no visible means of supporting themselves, who are panhandling and stuff on the street. Some are mellow. Some are violent. It's not just marijuana users, though. They're finding needles and all sorts of things. All right, is this an argument against legalizing pot? Matt in Greenfield. Matt, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, there. Hi Matt. Doing? Good. What do you think? Um, that, that's a really interesting story you brought up because, personally, I feel that a reason why a lot of these people are transient and homeless is because we live in a society where if you have a criminal record, there are certain careers that you cannot be allowed to do any, anymore, either informally or formally. And I think that the laws against marijuana are actually more damaging than the drug itself, and that we need to do more about helping these people get jobs and helping get rid of these criminal records that hold them okay, back. Okay, but let, well, let, okay, what's a 22-year-old pothead going to do? They, they, somebody moves from New York to Arizona, to, to like, this town in Colorado, because yeah. they can smoke dope legally. I mean, okay, what, what, what do you, what do you want them to do? I mean, do you want them teach? You don't. You certainly don't want them driving buses or, you know, driving yeah. trains or anything. What, what do you expect them to do? Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, so, say the the medical profession is growing at a rapid pace. It seems to be a recession-proof job, and it seems to be the job of the future for both men and women. And um, for a lot of people who have, you know, possession um, tickets or, or um, convictions against them, they can't be become nurses because they can't get clinical placements. And so I think that I can imagine that there are a lot of these so-called uh, potheads and transients who who may want to do something with their life or have a career, but they can't because. Uh, um, clinical rotations uh, will not accept them. Uh, well, so I'm thinking. Uh, well, no, I appreciate what you're saying, Matt. But it, okay, I, I I don't know. I I just I, I was cringing as I was listening to that because I'm all right. I, I'm not sure. Forget not sure. I don't want. I don't want the the guy or the gal that's on the street who's migrated to Colorado because there's the ability to smoke pot legally. With all due respect, I'm not sure I want that to be the one who's, I don't know, giving me the cancer drug in in the clinic. I maybe that's just me being unreasonable of these things, but but I, I see, I just 
See, I, I think that's actually, with all due respect, I, I think that's kind of naive. I, I, I would guess that the large number of vagrants aren't people who are, gee, we can't do anything else with our life because we've got a marijuana ticket. It's more like, hey, this is the place we're going to go because we can hang out and we can smoke dope, so we're going to go there. But, you know, we, we can't find jobs. There's not a lot of jobs we can do, not because of the criminal record, but because, you know, we, we've gone there to, to, to score dope and to stand smoking dope outside, uh, you know, a convenience store like Jay and Silent Bob. Uh, Chris writes, I am in a ministry group for jail inmates for addiction. I can't tell you how many of these guys started with marijuana and became addicts to heroin. Legalization would not be good. I understand that whenever I say that or other people say it, there, there's all sorts of folks that say, that's just ridiculous. Marijuana is not a gateway drug. I, I've been smoking dope all my life, and I've never been inclined to use heroin or cocaine or whatever. And for a lot of people, that's true. But but if you do talk to whatever the percentage of people are who you know you, you catch as heroin users or meth users or cocaine users, my guess is... The vast majority will tell you that they started with marijuana. You don't wake up one morning as a general rule and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to start you know, doing crack cocaine. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, let's talk to Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Um, like I was telling your call screener, um, I, um, I smoke marijuana myself. I, I do it... Uh, uh, basically, when I get home from work, I don't do it while I'm at work. Um, I'm not doing it 24-7. I'm very responsible. I have no criminal record. I'm college-educated. Um, for someone like me, I, it helps me greatly, mm-hmm. whereas uh, pharmace- I tried the pharmaceutical way, the legal way, and nothing worked. Mm-hmm. That didn't give me, make me feel like a zombie. That being said, I'm one of the, the, the rare cases where I function perfectly fine. I, I don't have any legal problems. I have a good job. I make good money. But I think it only should be for people for medical use only. I could get it under medical use probably because I have ADHD, right. but it shouldn't be legalized for everybody. I see, see Mike, and right. I, I have never right. I have never opposed legalized marijuana. The argument I've always made is if you can, if if, if for let's take the cancer patient, you know, who's having trouble with their appetite or whatever. I mean, given the fact that the, the strong, that like the major narcotics that they can be prescribed in a situation like that, who am I to say that if if you know, giving them some pot helps their appetite, it's fine. So I've never been opposed to medical marijuana, but this recreational thing, I just don't think is good for society. I just, I just don't because and I agree. Yeah. I, I agree completely. It should, we should not have the recreational. And a lot of these people, they just don't want to work. They, they just want to sit around and do nothing. Well, I uh, myself think it's, you got to, you got to have a job. Well, right. I mean, no, thank, thanks. And see, and, and that's, and, and that's part of the thing that that marijuana, marijuana mellows you out. And again, I, I understand that there's lots of people, I know if you're listening and you're offended by it, it's, I, I'm very successful and I've done this and I've done that and marijuana is fine and, and there are people that can handle it. I, I agree with that, but there's a lot of people that can't, just like there's a lot of people that can't handle alcohol, but you know why do we want to encourage this? 1128, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, the first place Brewers open a six-game homestand by welcoming in the Toronto Blue Jays. Bob Euchre and Jeff Levering are on the call tonight at Miller Park. They'll begin coverage at 6.05 this evening on WTMJ, sponsored by Catholic Financial Life. Our text line and my email is exploding, and, and a lot of people are making the argument, well, you know, alcohol is a gateway drug as well, and alcohol is terrible, and I know people that started out drinking heavily and became alcoholics, or they started drinking heavily and then they switched to heroin. 
I, I'm not arguing that, that alcohol can be a bad thing. I, I, I'm not going to be the poster boy for, you know, drinking yourself senseless. I am just saying that even if you accept that as a premise, I don't see how that is a justification for saying, okay, marijuana, it's, it's no worse than alcohol is. Let's say it's equally as bad. Okay, th- does that mean as a society that we want to embrace it if we accept the fact that, you know, there's people who can't handle alcohol? All right, do we make it want to make it easier for them to get booze? All right, if you accept that alcohol is bad, why in the world would you then argue, well, marijuana is just as bad or maybe not even close, not even quite as bad, so let's do that too? It just doesn't make sense to me. It's 1139, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Um, by the way, I, I we, we started off the program, spent about 30 minutes on the story in Manchester, England. Um, and, and you can check out the podcast. It, interesting conversation. Uh, this, if you believe, if, if for some reason you have not recognized that there is true evil in the world, this story demonstrates that and one of the things that i am very very worried about is that i think sometimes we we lose sight of that we we become numb i I start off the program talking about this i I remember okay after september 11th this was all everybody wanted to talk about for obviously we're stunned that there could be a terrorist attack of this magnitude on u.s soil and it was all everybody wanted to talk about for for a month i mean it was the dominant thing it was if you were of age at that time it was it was one of the things that you remember. Everybody remembers where they were on September 11th, you know, 2001. Everybody, if you were alive, you, you remember where you were when you learned that President Kennedy was, was assassinated. It's one of those sort of seminal moments uh, before my time. But I, I know if you were alive when Pearl Harbor was attacked, you remember where you were. And one of the things that's happening is I think because there have been so many terrorist Attacks, admittedly not on the scale of 9-11, but so many terrorist attacks, we just, oh, another day, another attack. We, we get numb to that. I mean, the Columbine school shootings, another example of that. I remember when that first happened, and it was just, you know, we, we spent a, a week, and that's all everybody wanted to talk about. Now, unfortunately, these things become more ordinary. Well, we can't let it become ordinary ordinary. You know, we are seeing these things, whether it's the Boston Marathon bombing or what happened at the concert last night in in England, where you had a crazy suicide bomber who was apparently known to authorities. Um, ISIS is taking credit for this. British authorities, I think, have arrested a a co-conspirator who who shows up outside a venue. I mean, he's at the box office, didn't even go through the security. He's there and he's waiting for the maximum opportunity when there's a lot of teenagers. Um, he does he does this with the idea of trying to kill as many people as possible. I mean, if you wonder whether or not there's true evil in the world, you look at what happened. And unfortunately, we, we can't protect ourselves. If you want to live in a free society, there's limits on how you can protect yourself. There's You only go so far. The guy wasn't inside the venue. He, he's standing 
outside of the venue. It would be like going to a, a baseball stadium and, and staying, you know, out in the parking lot. You know, or you know, uh, going to a movie theater and, and milling around like the box office, or going to I, I don't know some concert venue. And again, you're, you're standing outside. You're near where everybody's going in, but you're not going in yourself. Well, there's there's only so far that security can go, which is why it makes it so important, so absolutely critical for us to be aggressive in our law enforcement in aggressively and vigorously trying to identify people who might be inclined to do this stuff and to catch them before they have an opportunity to commit the act because the truth is I I don't know in a free society that you're ever going to be able to have enough security to prevent this. I mean, how, how far out do you go? Summerfest, and I hate to use the example of Summerfest because Summerfest is a wonderfully secure facility, but okay, like at Summerfest, there's no security check when you pull into a parking lot. The security check comes when you try to get in the gates. So what if somebody's lingering outside the gates? I mean, that's, that is the scary thing, is the terrorists get more and more aggressive, and it's why law enforcement needs to be more aggressive as well. But more importantly, it's why we need to... It's why we need to support the countries of this world who are going to be aggressive in fighting terrorism in an effort to defund these terrorist organizations and to kind of cut them off at at their head. Um, That at least gives an opportunity to perhaps... You know, add some safety. And again, the but the unfortunate reality of life in 2017, whether it's in America or whether it's in Europe or whether it's pretty much anywhere, is that, you know, there are evil people out there who are willing to do horrible things. And that's unfortunately the lesson of yesterday. And it's not satisfying because everybody wants to come up with that magic bullet that stops this type of stuff. I just don't think it's there. It's 1144 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Eleven forty-seven. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. I think I'm going to. I have a story about the the play in the movie Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, and it's really a fascinating story where the estate of the playwright Edward Albee is being accused of being racist. Um, I think I'm going to save it for tomorrow because I want to have some time to talk about it with you. Maybe open up the phone lines. Uh, President Trump, and as I was saying earlier, I, I recognize. That I'm sort of walk, I walk down the middle of the road on this because the, the conventional wisdom in the media now is that you're, you're either for him or against him, and and if you're against him, you, it's just, he can't do anything right. He's the devil incarnate. He is going to destroy this country, and that's the spin. On the other side, if you're for him, for some people, it's like he can't do anything wrong. It's all all the complaints and stuff are a product of the media, and people are out to get him, and this is the liberal establishment, and that anybody who doesn't see Trump as being 100% perfect, well, you know, you've been co-opted or you're stupid or whatever. I, I take the middle ground on this. I, I was not a fan of Hillary Clinton, but I, here's, and I, I, here's the thing with Trump for me. I, I think from a substance standpoint, I think he's done a lot of stuff that's pretty good. And I, I like a lot of the initiatives that he's doing. I think he's I, I agree with a lot of his policies. The style I think is off putting. There's just no question about it. And I do disagree with some of the things he's doing. For the life of me, I do not understand why you erp up classified intelligence in a meeting with Russia. Russia is not our friend. Right? I, I don't understand well, I mean, I understand why he would do it, but he needs to think. I, I'm not going to not criticize somebody. If he went to James Comey, 
for example, and try to influence an investigation into you know, Security Advisor Michael Flynn, that's wrong. Maybe you can do that when you're the CEO of a company and you own everything and you control everything. You know, you can tell people what to do, but you, you can't do that when you're the president of the United States. You can't direct law enforcement as to do what they're going to do and what they're not going to do. And I think he made a huge mistake when he did that. And I understand some people, oh, you're criticizing. Yeah, because I think he was wrong. I'm going to criticize him when I think he's wrong, and I'm going to applaud him when I think he's right. And I understand that puts me in the middle of the people who either hate him or the people who either love him. And I hear from both sets of people on a regular basis. But but here's another one of these stories where you want to you want to take the president aside and say, forget the optics. This is just fundamentally wrong. I mean, the story that's out there today is that the president went to two of the nation's top intelligence officials back in March um, the director of national intelligence, Dan Coates, and Admiral Michael Rogers, who's the co-director of the National Security Agency, and went to them and asked them to go public and deny the existence of any evidence of collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russians in 2016. So he whistles these people in. He's the leader of the free world, and at least allegedly, if you believe the stories, says, I, I want you to go public denying any collusion. All right, and, and both people apparently refused. But the, the optics of this are bad. The reality is bad. I mean, you just – maybe I feel so strongly about this because I spent so many years, you know, as, as a federal prosecutor. You, you cannot have politicians interfering in any way, shape, or form in investigations. You can't have a U.S. senator or a congressman or a president calling up a prosecutor or an investigator and saying – I want you to back off on this, or I want you to go public and say these different types of things. The, the, the prosecution, if there's going to be faith in the system, it has to be independent. And I, I don't know that Trump is evil in that regard, but I just I think that's one of the areas where he's just having trouble adapting to the difference between being president and being, you know, the, the CEO of a closely held company where you can pe- tell people to do whatever you want them to do and expect them to do it. You can't tell the director of the FBI to back off an investigation. You can't tell the head of NSA, I want you to come out publicly and defend me on something politically. You've got to let them be separate. And the quicker the president learns that, I think the better he is going to do that and, of course, giving up his Twitter feed.